Hi parents, are you feeling unfulfilled by parenthood? Convinced you're doing it all wrong? Experiencing a sense of shame and confusion despite trying every positive and gentle parenting strategy out there only to find that they backfire with your child and you just want things to get better? If so, you've come to the right place. My name is Bevan Walters. I'm a certified parent coach and educator with more than 25 years of experience. I specialize in supporting parents of complex kids, and I do so through my unique 3D parent model, a simplified approach to parenting complex kids. I believe that every parent has the capacity to become the parenting expert of their own children. I'll show you the way. Welcome to a journey of empowered parenting on the 3D Parent Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode number 86 of the 3D Parent Podcast. This is the third in my series, the 3D Parent Bootcamp, which is my season two relaunch collection of episodes. This one is called Parenting with Direction. Now, in the last episode, I talked about the first of the four parts of the 3D Parent model, which is the parent, the one P and specifically becoming grounded as a 3D parent. I talked about grounding yourself in your role as a nurturing alpha and also setting parenting intentions. Really important that you have that background because I'll be referring back to that episode in future episodes. And each of these episodes kind of builds upon the last one. So it's really best if you listen starting with episode number 85 or perhaps even 84 where I give you the overview but at least going back one episode to episode 85 so you can get that part of the 3D parent model that I am working through during this series. What this episode is going to focus on is the first of the three D's of the model which is direction, parenting with direction. In that last episode, like I said, I focused on helping parents set their intentions. Now I'm going to provide you with strategies and ways to match your actions to your parenting intention. So when I talk about parenting with direction, in short, I'm talking about finding a sense of direction as a parent stemming from having a sense of curiosity about yourself, your child and the current status or strength of your relationship with your child. Once you get curious and you stop looking for answers in books or in classes or in talking to your friends, and instead get curious about your child and the circumstances surrounding them, you'll naturally start to ask yourself questions to seek better understanding of what's going on in the situation and a better understanding of what's going on for your child. Once you start doing that, you become an expert decoder of your child's behaviors and determining their root cause. And with practice, honing these skills of making sense of your child and their circumstances impacting them, you will have basically developed the key skills necessary for becoming the parenting expert for your child. And that's the goal here, because all of you have that capacity within you. It might just take a little bit of practice and building of confidence to know that you have this within you. Nobody has the capacity to become the parenting expert of your child the way that you, the parent, 
can, but it does take practice and some strategies. And that's what I'm going to help you with now. So like I said, getting curious about your parenting challenges or what's going on for your child will lead you to asking questions. But it's important that you're asking the right questions. Oftentimes, when parents come to me, they're asking this one specific question. What do I do when my kid does blank? They're looking for me to come up with a solution, a trick, a tool, a fix to whatever problem they are experiencing in parenting their child. That's not the right question to be asking. When you start off with, what do I do when my kid acts this way? Or what do I do when my kid says no? What do I do when my kid throws a tantrum? You're focusing on, give me a tool or strategy to help me control my child's behaviors. Much like the sculptor or behaviorist parent that I referred to in the last episode. And we're trying to move away from parenting from that perspective. So asking, what do I do when my kid does this? Searching for a easy, quick parenting hack to solve this problem and put a band-aid over it is just going to, at the very least, come up with a very temporary solution that is not going to actually help your child get unstuck from problematic, immature behaviors. And it's also a surefire way to increase frustration both for your child and for yourself. So let's stay away from that question and that perspective and instead focus on getting your sense of direction by decoding behaviors and versus trying to stop, fix, or control them. So to do this, you need to scan the situation and determine the root cause of the problem and ask yourself these three super simple basic questions. Is it me? Is it my child? Or is it us? Now, this isn't about, oh, who's to blame? It's more about where is this problem stemming from? So is this problem stemming from me? Well, that kind of is getting back to the content I covered in the last episode. Maybe there's not really a problem with your child at all. Maybe the problem is with you. Maybe you're not very grounded right now. Maybe you're you're feeling stressed or emotionally dysregulated. Maybe your kid's just being a kid and being rambunctious and having fun and you just are having a hard time tolerating your child's energy. That's not a problem with your child. That's a problem that you need to solve within yourself. So asking yourself, is it me, is really figuring out if there's even a problem in the first place with your child or something going on with your child, or is there something going on for you? And if that's the case, and you're having a hard time showing up in line with your intentions to be that nurturing alpha parent, you might need to do some sort of a reset or an energy release or some deep breathing or making a mindset shift or getting some type of a sensory deadening tool. Sometimes my kids are too much like sound for me. I have four kids and they're all very vocal and dramatic. And I can be that way myself, but I also am fairly sensitive, highly sensitive as well, and can become overwhelmed by a lot of noise. So, hey, I've got some great noise canceling headphones that I pop in sometimes to kind of like lessen the sound I'm experiencing with my kids and allow them to have fun where I've taken care of my own need to have less sound coming from them at that moment. 
It's not a problem with my kids. In that moment, it's a problem within me. When you try to solve those problems within yourself versus trying to control the child, you'd be less likely to get frustrated or lash out at your child because you're struggling. And also, you'll be less likely to go for some type of an easy, quick fix like the ultimate child silencer, the iPad, or the TV. So figure out, really, is there a problem I need to solve my kids right now? Or is it just like something that I'm finding uncomfortable that I need to deal with myself? Another reason that the answer might be yes to, is it me, is perhaps you're stressed or emotionally dysregulated yourself and your child is picking up on that energy and it's setting them off. So it's really something that I need to check within myself in those circumstances and recognize that if I could regulate my own nervous system and my own emotions, that my child will not start reacting to them in a more heightened alarm state because of how I'm impacting them. And then the other reason why the answer might be yes to, is it me, is maybe it has to do with some type of a parenting trigger. Again, something that I covered a bit in the last episode. Maybe there is something that's just a trigger for you. That is a typical to be expected behavior from your child given their stage of development or age, but it's a trigger for you. And so you have this overreaction to it. That is a problem to be solved within you. So that would be another, like, yes, it's something I need to deal with myself. My kid is just fine. I don't need to think of this as being a problem within my child. So the first question I just went over was, is it me? The second question is, is it my child? And this is where I'm going to spend the bulk of the time during this episode is helping you determine if there is something going on that can be explained based on what you're observing in your child. What you're trying to make sense of to determine if it is your child, to answer the question, is it my child, is what's the underlying root cause of the problems or the challenging behaviors I'm seeing in my child? Is there something that I need to make sense of in my child that's driving this behavior? The most likely answers to this question being yes will fall into one of two categories. Number one, the underlying cause of the problematic behavior in my child has to do with their stage of emotional maturity. Or two, it's stemming from some type of an unmet need. So first, I'll go with the first category, which is having to do with problems stemming from your child's stage of emotional maturity. I'm going to help you understand the stages of the development of emotional maturity with the help of Dr. Gordon Neufeld. You're going to hear me refer to him a lot on this podcast, and I already have in previous episodes because he is so brilliant at coming up with language that's understandable to people who are not you know, holding doctorates in psychology. And so I find his explanations to be very easy to explain and to grasp as parents. So I'm going to explain his five steps to emotional health and maturity to help you understand how this develops within human behavior and so that you can kind of reflect upon your child, their age, and where we would ideally expect them to be in terms of maturity. and. You can kind of assess as I'm talking through this about your children or in particular child that you find to be more complex and challenging to see, okay, actually, they seem to be kind of in line with what we'd expect given their 
age, or gosh, my child actually seems like they might be stuck in a stage of immaturity. That's really valuable information and important when you're trying to decode the root cause of problematic behaviors, particularly if it seems to be stemming from their stage of emotional maturity. Keep in mind that emotional maturity is not guaranteed. Only growing older is guaranteed. Growing into emotional maturity is not guaranteed. In fact, I'm sure all of us can think about adults in our life who are incredibly emotionally immature in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. Emotional maturity is not guaranteed. And people, adults, can be very stuck in stages of emotional immaturity and they never get unstuck and they can never handle frustrations in their life. They have a difficult time maintaining their emotional regulation, consistently struggle with this. We all struggle with it from time to time, but we shouldn't struggle with it most of the time. That's an indication of emotional immaturity or something going on more serious that falls into the category of some type of mental disorder of some kind. So keep in mind that our goal as parents and one of our most important jobs is to nurture and support our child's development of their emotional maturity. So we need to understand how it develops first to understand where our child is in terms of the development of their emotional maturity and then determine if there's maybe something going on there. Like I said, maybe they're stuck in emotional immaturity. Hey there, parents. If you're raising complex kids and navigating the unique challenges that come with it, I've got something special just for you. The 3D Parent Village, your go-to parenting membership community. The 3D Parent Village is not just a membership. It's a supportive community where you can connect with other families who understand the joys and struggles of raising similarly wired children. Hi, I'm Devin Walters, the OG 3D Parent and your guide in this parenting journey. Join me in the 3D Parent Village and let's tackle the challenges together. Inside the village, you'll find access to parent education, group coaching, and an ever-expanding resource library, all rooted in my unique 3D parent approach. We focus on parenting with dignity, direction, and deep connection. But wait, there's more! With your village membership, you'll also get exclusive access to the 3D Parent On-The-Go program. Imagine having a direct line to your own trusted parenting coach right in your pocket. Well, that's what the 3D Parent On-The-Go program provides private, personalized, one-on-one parenting support with me through a convenient app. It's like having a parenting coach at your fingertips whenever you need it. So if you're ready to experience a decrease in isolation, frustration, and overwhelm, follow the link in the show notes to get all the details and sign up for the 3D Parent Village. They say it takes a village to raise a child. Never was that saying more true than when parenting a spicy, spirited, outside-the-box child. Come join us in the 3D Parent Village. We've saved a spot just for you. So Dr. Neufeld's five steps of emotional maturity develop sequentially, starting with step one, which is this step called expressing. There's five steps altogether. The first step is expressing. So when human is in the stage of maturity, they're expressing 
the emotions that they are experiencing. They become visible through cries, through smiles, through tantrums, through laughter, smiles, hugs. All of those are emotional expression, which humans are capable of from birth. So you can pretty much guarantee that all humans have the capability to be step one, expressing emotion that is being experienced. Emotions happen to us, which are different than feelings. So expression and expressing step one is really about expressing the emotions that have occurred and that we are experiencing. Step two is naming. What Newfeld means by naming is that once we are expressing emotion, eventually we need to start making sense of these emotions. And that happens through understanding them through language. So emotion seeks expression, and then it seeks understanding through cognitively making sense of the emotions being experienced through language. So when you have a young child and the parent says, oh, you seem sad, or you're so happy, you're naming the emotions that you're seeing and that your child is expressing. And this is helping them make sense and develop their EQ, their ability to understand their emotions. And then they start being able to do this for themselves as you continue to expose them to the language or they start to understand this emotion I'm experiencing has a name and their vocabulary can expand throughout time. So step one was expressing, step two is naming, step three is feeling. Again, emotions and feelings are not the same thing. Emotions we experience, we don't have any control over. Just because you're experiencing an emotion does not mean that you have the capability to feel the emotions that are being stirred up inside. So the ability to feel your emotions is what develops after you're starting to express and name, then you actively feel what that emotion stirs up within you on a physical level. Important to note that when you have a young child or an emotionally young person, only one emotion can be felt at a time. You can only feel one emotion at a time when you are young or emotionally immature. One emotion. So you think about a preschooler who has, you know, huge mood swings and goes from happy one minute to crying the next minute to loving the next minute to hitting the next minute. It's going emotion, 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 emotion all over the place. Well, that's because they only feel one emotion at a time. That's all their brain is capable of handling. It's important to remember that because it helps you understand why at times a child can lose control of their impulses, not have control because when they're angry, they're angry and they act out. When a child has a capacity to develop regulation, self-regulation and impulse control, that happens during step four of emotional maturity, which is what Neufeld refers to as mixing. Once a child has developed past expressing emotions to naming, to feeling them, the next step is mixing, which is to feel more than one conflicting feeling at a time. 
And like I said, this is the key to the development of self-regulation and impulse control. And it typically develops between the ages of five to seven or in more highly sensitive individuals between the ages of seven to nine. This is the stage of development I talk about the most with my coaching clients because everybody wants to know how can I get my kid to have better impulse control and not become aggressive when angry or frustrated, not lash out verbally or physically. Well, the first thing we need to think about is your stage of the stage of your child's development. If a child is three or four years old, they're not going to have the ability to consistently have impulse control. When they are mad, they're going to react because they're still in one feeling at a time mode. When they're able to mix emotions, they can hold on to feeling, caring feelings towards their friends while also feeling frustrated that their friend just took their toy out of their hand. And while they might be frustrated, they don't lose the ability to hold on to still those feelings of caring about their friend. So they might, instead of hitting the friend or grabbing or getting to a wrestling match like a young child would, a more mature child would say, hey, give that back. That's not fair. They have enough impulse control to be able to use their words and communicate without going to impulsive reactivity. So that's step four. Here's the thing. Here's the kicker. Emotional self-regulation is not something that can be taught. I don't mean you can't teach your child and talk about it with your child, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. This is a stage of maturity that develops through time and sequentially once they have kind of gotten to a stage of emotional maturity step by step by step. So it's really about creating the conditions that are conducive to this maturity unfolding over time. So moving on to step five of emotional maturity, according to Dr. Gordon Neufeld's five steps, and that is step of reflecting. So once a child is expressing, naming, feeling, and mixing their emotions, they get to the most mature state where they have the ability to self-assess their behaviors, their actions. They can feel a sense of remorse when they've made mistakes. They can do a gut check. They can be self-analytical and self-assess, and this helps them become problem solvers and to be able to be moved to take responsibility for their actions. Reflective behavior is a sign of emotional maturity. And again, that doesn't happen until all those other steps towards emotional maturity have solidified. So in conclusion, in talking about this, this reason that of problematic behaviors that might be rooted in your child's level of emotional maturity, I talked through those five steps to help you understand where your child might be. And maybe you have expectations that are not really in line with your child's stage of development. In that case, you've gotten information that's really valuable. You need to maybe adjust your expectations in that case and figure out how you can layer on extra supports until your child has reached that stage of development. We would expect all three-year-olds to struggle with impulse control and reactivity. That's typical. But if you have a child that maybe is still super impulsive with their behaviors and struggling with self-regulation and let's say they're like eight, nine, 10 years old, you pause and think about that. There's probably a reason. 
there's something that's going on that has kept your kid maybe stuck in a more immature stage of emotional development. Perhaps you need to go do some investigating or get some support through your pediatrician or have some cognitive behavioral assessments done to determine if there's something going on. Perhaps your child is just really highly sensitive and there's nothing necessarily diagnosable, or it could be there's something going on having to do with sensory processing disorder or ADHD or something of that nature. So if that is the case for you and your child, it might be worth investigating a little further. Beyond determining where your child is in terms of their stage of development, it's also important just to note what has been communicated through your child's behavior. Basically, that something is hard for your child. And we can't just flip a switch and command that they be more maturity. We can train a child to act more mature. And we can influence that by issuing threats of punishments or rewards. But we don't want to settle for just a child acting more mature. We want our child to actually become authentically mature. So we don't want to settle for acting. We want our kids to become. And that takes time and patience. And like I said, at times, adjusting our expectations or compensating for their areas where they're lagging in their skills and emotional development. Okay, the second category that I mentioned where the answer might be yes or perhaps to is it my child beyond their stage of emotional development is assessing if the behavioral challenges that you're experiencing with your child rooted in some sort of unmet need. So to get the answer to that, we have to learn to decode behaviors and understand that behaviors are a form of communication and driven often by an unmet need. I want to encourage parents to stop getting in the habit of putting on this lens of diagnosing or labeling our child in their behaviors. Oftentimes I'll have parents come to me with a four-year-old or five-year-old telling me, you know, I, I don't know, I worry my child might be bipolar. Um, my child has narcissistic tendencies. My child enjoys being manipulative. And it, sometimes I have to do a lot of convincing of the parents I'm working with that, you know, there's a very small percentage of the population that truly does have um, sociopathic tendencies, but that is very rare. Children are not labeled by these behaviors and diagnosed by their parents. All children have behaviors that are problematic because they are immature. So we need to stop punishing and shaming our children for having needs or immaturity that are just a part of who they are right now. We need to support them. I really love this quote by Dr. Ross Green, who's another psychologist that um, works with children who are complex or really explosive in their behaviors. And he says, very simply, children do well when they can. This means that challenging behaviors within our children, they're not intentional. Bad behavior is not coming from a character flaw like laziness or a child who enjoys being in control and has control issues or they enjoy, take pleasure in pushing buttons or being manipulative or even that they're just, they're constantly trying to seek our attention and that's a bad thing. Problematic behaviors are indications that something is not working for our children. And it could be a lacking skill due to immaturity, like having low frustration tolerance or impulsiveness, or it could be a clue 
that there's an underlying need that we need to uncover, discover, and then address. So what could those unmet needs be? There are six most common unmet needs that I'm going to highlight for you. And the first three are super easy and basic because they have not changed since infancy. The three basic needs that could be driving your child's problematic behaviors are a need for food, a need for rest, or a need for comfort. Your child sometimes acts out because they're starving, they're hungry, they've got low blood sugar, they're hangry, right? Or they could be really tired and they need a nap or they need to be put to bed. Or it might be that they don't feel well and they need to be comforted or they need an ice pack or perhaps some medication. Maybe they're getting sick. If that is the need that you're uncovering, you need to meet that need because that is what is driving the problematic behavior. The next three most common needs that might be driving your child's behavior, those are the ones that are a little bit more tricky to figure out. And they are the emotional needs, a need for connection, a need for autonomy, or a need to release and vent stored up emotions that your child is carrying around with them. So what do we do if we determine that one of these six things is the need driving the behavior in our child? Well, we need to meet them. You know, some people might argue that a child needs to learn to control themselves and not act out when they're hungry or have had a hard day and are walking around a lot of disappointment or hard feelings. We need to understand that this is not about learning to control yourself. It might be about a lagging skill. Your child will get there. We just need to give them some grace and not shame them for currently needing more time to develop the capacity for handling these challenges or discomforts in a way that's more convenient and pleasing to us. Hey, we all struggle at times too, and we're the grownups. So of course our children are going to struggle when they have one of these unmet needs that is just like, uh, just below the surface driving problematic behavior. So all to summarize what I've covered, parenting with direction focuses on the importance of making sense of our children and addressing the root causes of their challenging behaviors. Our children are desperate to be understood. And they oftentimes don't have the language or the maturity to communicate effectively. So we as parents need to get to work to make sense of what's not working for our children so we can provide the best response possible to support our struggling children. We need to also shift our perspectives. Remember the role of parents is partly that of a scientist observing and decoding behaviors. We also need to make space for our own learning curves. They're gonna, there's gonna be times where you're gonna feel confused and disoriented in this process of learning to decode and make sense of problems. So give yourself grace. It takes practice and you may not always figure things out right away, but the more you approach parenting in this way, seeking your sense of direction, the better you'll get at it. And in time, you will become the parenting expert for your child. Now, finally, you might recall that I said there were three basic questions. Is it me? Is it my child? Or is it us? I'm going to get to, is it us? The last question stemming from problems within the strength or the depth 
or security of an attachment or relationship with your child. I'm going to be covering that in the next episode, episode number 87, Parenting with Deep Connection. I'll look forward to talking to you then. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope our conversation has inspired your journey towards building deeper connections with your children and strengthened your resolve to match your parenting intentions with your words and actions. If today's insights resonated with you, the greatest thank you I could receive would be for you to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and share my podcast with others. And for those of you seeking more support with your parenting, consider joining the 3D Parent Village, a nurturing membership community designed for families raising complex kids like yours. Inside the village, connect with like-minded parents, find relief from isolation and overwhelm, and gain access to educational resources, group coaching, and personalized support, all rooted in the transformative 3D parent approach. They say it takes a village to raise a child. Never was that sentiment more true than when parenting a complex child. So come join us at the 3D Parent Village. We've saved a spot for you.